This right here is the Twib You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Finally, I'm finally free. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Tonight is a very special podcast. We are talking about mental illness in the black community. So if you are listening now live, uh, feel free to participate with us via Twitter. The hashtag is BGN Podcast, and that allows you to join in the feed with other live listeners as we discuss this topic. Feel free to leave your comments, and if you have questions for our panel, then um, feel free to tweet those out, and I'll be happy to address them while we're on the air live. Our, our guest tonight is John Minus, Terrell Starr, Carrie, Shanae Williams, and Mel. And um, before we get to our guests, I just want to make a few announcements. Also, if you want to call in and you got questions as well, you can call in the studio number. It's 718-404-9320. And then you can always join in the TWIB chat room on twib.fm forward slash live and join in with the other TWIB users. All right. So announcements. I am really excited. Oh, I forgot. And our co-host tonight is Tara Cook. Tara, thank you for coming on tonight. Appreciate it. Hey, Jamie. I'm really, really glad I was able to make it for this. It's been something I've definitely been looking forward to talking about. Yes, awesome. Tara is a um, long, long-time BGM podcaster. was on our first show, so thank you for coming back tonight. Um, so a couple of announcements, and then I'll toss it over to Tara to introduce herself and then also our guests to introduce themselves. Really excited because um, we have a few giveaways that are happening this week. First of all, our giveaway that's ending tonight. It's the Vision Machine comic. We're giving away 20 copies of them, 20 signed copies, that is, by Greg Pak himself. Uh, so if you have not entered into that drawing, please do. And there's also going to be one lucky winner that will win both the signed copy of Vision Machine, but also a Marvel edition of War Machine. So uh, check that out. The contest ends tonight. But if you don't get to win that contest, you have the opportunity to enter into two more. Tomorrow we're going to run another giveaway. This is sponsored by Chappie. Chappie is the new film that's coming out starring Hugh Jackman, Dev Patel, Sigourney Weaver. Kind of like a take on Short Circuit um, from what I'm seeing from the previews. But uh, we're going to give away a prize pack that uh, is just filled with a bunch of Chappie swag. So it includes T-shirts, some Chappie headgear, poster. So tune in to our website for that. That will run tomorrow for one week. And we're doing another storm giveaway. So thank you to Foxy Jezebel, who partnered up with me. And we're going to give away five copies of Storm's Make It Rain by Greg Pak. So really exciting. Always bookmark the blackgirlnerds.com website to your browser. We also have our newsletter that we issue out uh, twice a month. So Uh, Make sure you sign up for that. There's live tweet information in there, giveaways, information. So if you don't follow Black Girl Nerds on Twitter, you can get a lot of that content there in the newsletter. And then you can also subscribe to our feed on the website. That way, every day you get fresh new content straight to your inbox. Thanks so much for your support. So I'm going to pass the virtual mic over to Tara. 
feel free to just introduce yourself, let us know who you are, your social media handles, anything that you're currently working on. So hi everybody, it's Tara. Um, like Jamie said before, it's been a long time coming. I'm super glad to be back on the podcast. We're really trying to become more active in everything that I do, but my job kind of stops me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Simply Sundara, and that's S-I-M-P-L-Y-T-S-U-N-D-E-R-E. Whole mouthful, but I'm pretty sure you'll find me tweeting on the um, hashtag BGM podcast, so you can find me there. Um, otherwise, I participate in the Black Girl Nerds. I also am one of the officers for the Geek Girl Brunch DC chapter, so if you listen in or the DC area, I'm more than happy to ever see you if you come out to one of our things. Um, you can ask me more about that on Twitter. Otherwise, work all the time, man. Work hard, play little. <laughs> Isn't that just life in general, right? <laughs> yeah, man, I really should have slowed down wanting to become an adult because it's kind of for the birds a little bit. Being adult is overrated. Absolutely. All right, so I am going to um, toss it over to our panel. As I mentioned before, in this order, we have John Minus, Terrell Starr, Carrie, Shanae Williams, and Mel. Um, so please let us know who you are. Um, tell us about any sort of mental illness disorder that um, you're affected by, or if you're an expert in the field, um, let us know what you're working on. And also your social media shout outs and handles so folks can find you on Twitter or any other social networks. Hey, all right. I guess I will go first. Uh, this is John Minus. Um, I am suspected to have all the mental illnesses, but I've actually, um, I've been diagnosed as bipolar, uh, but that was, I guess, more recently, like in the last seven years. Um, so I have that experience. And also I have a master's in forensic psychology um, and I work in the field. So I have that side of the experience as well. Um, and I also do comedy and I write and stuff and I love and I'm a huge nerd. So you guys probably know all that by now. Um, I have a blog where I write about all that stuff, like mental health, relationships, geek stuff, sometimes at the same time. Um, it's Exit 11, like all spelled out, exit11.blogspot.com. And um, I'm on Twitter as Don Coyote, like D-O-N and the animal, C-O-Y-O-T-E. So that's me. All right, Terrell. Yes, I am a senior editor at Alternet. I'm a journalist in training. I, more than a year ago, suffered from suicidal ideation. I made out a plan to commit suicide, and fortunately that plan didn't go through, but I was suffering serious suicidal ideation at the time where I didn't was not in control of my thoughts, and that led me to going into intensive therapy and I've been doing that for more, going on a year and a half now. And now I'm also learning that I'm dealing with uh, anxiety attacks, which is another step in my mental health journey that I'm looking into and going to seek psychiatric help to deal with that as well. And I will be writing about my experience for a major publication and that while well, I'm writing it right now, and that will be 
that essay will be published in the next month or so, and everyone to hear about it because it's such a it's at a big national uh, world organize world news outlet, and so I'll be talking to everyone else about my experience with mental health and going to therapy and trying to break down some of the barriers, particularly the cultural ones that prevent people, particularly black people, from seeking help. All right, Carrie. Um, okay, hi. Um, my name is Carrie. I am an electronic music producer. Um, and unfortunately, as an artist, I'm also depressed. And But I mean, the thing is, I've... I've had a diagnosis of depression for over 20 years at this point. So honestly, it's been like a lifelong kind of really bittersweet relationship with lots of twists and turns. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I feel kind of intimidated because I don't have a lot of stuff that I usually do. Uh, I wrote a song this week about my relationship with suicide and depression but um, other than that, right now, I kind of happen to be in the middle of one. So like a pretty bad spell. And I, I think one of the things that I've been trying to do is be a bit more vocal and try to talk about it because I think a lot of depression thrives on silence and um, it's like a partial silence because there's a cacophony in your mind at all times. So... I just, I've been trying to be vocal about it. And that's one of the things when I saw that you put out the call, it was like, I really want to be part of that just because um, not only could it help other people, but it might actually be helpful for me. Thank you. And Shanae? Yes. Um, hi, my name is R. Shanae Williams. I'm a filmmaker. I wrote and directed a short film called Contamination um, about a black woman suffering with mental illness, uh, specifically OCD. Um, it screened at several festivals last year, and um, I also struggle with moderate to severe anxiety uh, throughout most of my life. Um, also, some depression, but primarily it's been anxiety. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, rshanae722. And Mel. Hi, I'm Mel, and um, can you see? Uh, I've suffered from depression for pretty much um, over half of my life, and also anxiety. And I feel like Carrie just already said everything that I want to say, and she said it so well. So I'm just gonna dovetail. <laughs> <laughs> like, or I'm just just I'm just gonna co-sign on what she said because it was just she said it so well. And um, let me see, my Twitter handle is Jane underscore Anon, so Jane, J-A-N-E underscore A-N-O-N. And that's pretty much it. Well, thank you all so much for coming on the show. So I'm going to start with Terrell first. For someone that is completely oblivious and knows nothing about mental illness, can you tell us what is defined as a mental illness or disease? Sure. Well, generally, it's anything that uh, that impairs your ability to function in in your ordinary life, and it could be a wide range of things. People may have heard it could be psychiatric. It could be it can range anywhere from depression to an anxiety disorder. It can range from um, anything bipolar, bipolar disorder, anything that stops you from. 
functioning normally and you need some additional assistance in order to uh, live. So that's a general understanding of it. With me, I went to therapy because of suicidal ideation that I experienced a few years ago where I could not control thoughts that I wanted to die. And I would wake up in the morning not being able to control my body, not being able to stop these thoughts from wanting to die. And I was on autopilot half the time. And I ultimately made my way to a therapist, fortunately. And, excuse me, I was able to uh, speak with a really great one. And a lot of what I've but a lot of the reasons why I was going through it was, was because of unresolved childhood trauma. I grew up in a very violent household where I saw a lot of violence. I grew up in drug dealing, all those other things that, that I never really resolved. And I never really talked to anyone about. So that was the beginning stages of helping me to understand what was going on with me. And a lot of the ways that I dealt with stress and pain by not necessarily dealing with them were the direct result, re- result of me growing up in a neighborhood where you were not okay, where it wasn't okay to cry and to talk about your pain and talk about your experiences. So for 30 years, essentially, I was holding up a whole lot of uh, pent up frustration and hurt and pain, and it just made me want to die. And so now, um, but so that was with me and I haven't been diagnosed with a mental illness at this point, but I have, but I was working through, uh, my depression state twice a week with a therapist and that was what was helping me. And this question is for Shanae. Um, if you have family members that you suspect have a mental illness, but they refuse to seek help, is there anything that you can do? I mean, it's, it is really challenging uh, sometimes um, when you have a friend, a family member, and you know they need help and they're refusing it. I, from my experience, I feel like it's always best to just be supportive of them, that type of presence of just support, like letting them know you care, that you love them, and continuing to, like, encourage them to seek help. Um, even saying, you know, I'll go to the doctor with you, I'll go to a therapist with you. I mean, that kind of support can be invaluable. Um, from an experience I had when I was an undergrad several years ago, which is when my um, my anxiety was at its worst. I was having panic attacks at the time, and there was a friend of mine in my dorm who knew kind of what I was dealing with, and she was just there for me. You know, she would go places with me, and she would ask me, are you okay? Do you need anything? And that alone right there was what helped me kind of seek help, um, just knowing that I had that kind of support system. So I would just say to anyone who knows they have a family member dealing with it, just, you know, um, be very supportive because um, there, there is silence surrounding that, um, what Carrie had said earlier. And when you have that support system, when you can start to speak out about it, it really does start a healing process. Thank you. Um, before I toss it off to Tara, we have a question from Twitter, and this is directed to Terrell because you had just mentioned this. Um, this is from Courtney Hinton on Twitter. She wants to know, would you explain exactly what suicidal idolation means? Sure. So in my experience, it mean, and it means a lot of things for different people. With me, I was unable to control thoughts of killing myself. So for me, I would wake up in the morning oftentimes and I would have runaway thoughts of graveyards, of being 
underground and voices telling me that I just need to kill myself. And it would follow me around 24 hours a day. And a lunch break at work would be a breakout session on ways that I could kill myself. And with me, I made a plan so that I would come up missing where I would go on a trip and people would think I would go missing. But what I was, and what I was trying to do was to commit suicide and somehow fall into a lake and then just have the currents take me away. For me, it was a constant state of figuring out the most efficient way to take my own life. And it wasn't like I was planning it. It was something that was completely out of my control. And I had to catch myself when I had the wherewithal to stop myself from thinking in that way. But suicidal ideation affects people very differently. But for me, it was a very mentally paralyzing experience that lasted for months. And fortunately, I was able to take a moment when I was fairly clear-minded to seek help. But even that took time because I was so embarrassed and ashamed to to tell anyone about it. And I didn't know who to trust, but I was fortunate enough to find the right person to, to do that. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, toss it over to you, Tara. Thanks, Jamie. So John, why do you think there is such a negative stigma towards mental health as a whole, especially within um, communities of people of color, not just, you know, within the black community, things like depression, obviously falling into this category. There's many people who suffer with depression, um, myself personally, but there's so many people that are afraid to just speak out about whatever their mental illness may be. Well, I think I think about this a lot because, well, what, the first thing is with uh, the field of psychology and psychiatry, it's one of the only fields where pe- where everybody feels like they're qualified to give advice on it. Mm-hmm. Like with health, with health, like with physics, like people won't just come up to you and say, oh, well, this is how an atom works. And with health, <laughs> people won't just come up to you and say, well, you know, this is what mitosis is. They, you kind of have to know. But people feel perfectly qualified to tell you how to get rid of your depression. Just yes. anybody. So uh, being in a field, you have to constantly battle with everybody's personal ideas of what psychology is. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you can't see it. You can't see neurotransmitters. You can't you can't put your hand on somebody's head. There's no fever associated with it. So there's there's no real so people think if they can't see it, if there's no outward signs, then it doesn't exist. And the third thing is that a personality disorder isn't something that people always say, well, you just, you know, all you need is a slap in the head. All you need is blank or you should. Should is the worst word in the human language. Like you should just do this. You just need to do that. Mm-hmm. And if we, and with mental illness, it's one of those things where if you don't have it, you don't understand it at all. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's why uh-huh. there's so much stigma. People don't think it's real unless they have it. Right. Exactly. And also, one, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. The the one the one thing I heard recently was um, oh, I forgot. I saw a patient who said that I felt like this all my life, but I thought it was normal. Mm. Like, there's some people mm-hmm. don't know that they shouldn't be. They shouldn't feel like that all the time. That's how little attention is paid to it. Oh, oh, I was just, I was going to say too, like one of the problems that I, uh, interacted with, you know, when I was coming to terms with, uh, 
being my first depression and everything like that is like when I was younger, I was in a really fundamentalist family and um, my mom always, instead of looking at it as like, you know, there might be a chemical imbalance or something like that, I was told to pray. I was told that it was like just being, you know, oppressed by demons. And it was just like, there were so many other things where I was just like, it's it's not going away no matter how many times I'm anointed with oil. It's not going away no matter how many times you take me to the front of the church to pray about it. Like, you know, and it was one of those things where I think I think also, you know, when it comes to families, like a lot of families might not want you to get the diagnosis or you to seek help because they think it's a poor reflection on them. When the truth is that you just have a chemical imbalance that needs to be seriously addressed. And it's just saying like, well, you just don't have enough faith or you just don't believe enough. And it's, it's really not that it's, it's, it's truly something you can't control. Yeah, all of that is true. Like, I've seen so much of that um, with the religion thing. And the thing is, sometimes the person will be religious and their symptoms will manifest in what we call religious preoccupation. Where it's like they're, Mm -hmm. and it's hard, it's hard for us as, as, you know, mental health workers where we have to say, okay, what's the normal level of being religious? If somebody says they hear God talking to them every day, how do you, and it's like you have to take it on a case by case basis, but like some people, that's normal. They say, "Oh, I hear God and everything," and it's like, "All right, well, can you function?" In-? But they're holding a job and they're, you know, talking to people and it's fine. But then there's right. people who say that, and you know, and they're saying God tells you to do everything. You look at them and they're constantly looking around, and it's like, "Oh, is God talking to you now?" Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a weird thing because you don't want to be disrespectful to somebody's faith, but you have to parse out what's faith and what's you know, hallucinations. And I always right. like to say that anyone who is a, a good pastor or a good minister will pray for you and help you to find mental health services mm-hmm. or help you to find a good therapist or whatever type of treatment is affordable to you. So I think that pe- there can always be both the two, religion and mental health, seeking help for that. They don't have to clash with one another as sometimes we like to suggest. I, to- I totally agree with that because for me, when I was dealing with the anxiety, um, people were telling me to pray. And I said, well, I prayed and God led me to a professional. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that helped me. You know, I did go see someone who gave me the tools I needed to deal with the anxiety, things I still use to this day. So you're right. We can use them both together. Awesome. So I'm going to kind of jump a wee bit away from what my next question was, because I really want to build. I want to add one more thing. Can I add one thing? Oh, of course. Of course. Okay. I just wanted to add that there's also this pervasive idea that I've seen um, amongst a lot of different groups in which what reason do you have to be depressed when your ancestors Mm. had it so much harder than you did? Like if your ancestors lived through slavery or they lived through the civil rights movement. I mean, my my family is Haitian. They lived through the Duvalier. So what reason do I have to be, you know, depressed when I'm sitting here in America with my computer, you know, and my TV and my cable, and then there's no, and I can say whatever I want on Twitter without worry that soldiers are going to come, you know, bust down my door and snatch me up and, throw me in prison and no one will ever see me again. So there's this idea that why are you depressed? 
when everyone else has managed to get through this for generations and generations and now you you have a problem so yeah i just wanted to add that in no problem i think that was a really great thing to add in um i've heard that multiple times from many different people and depression doesn't look at what others have gone through depression doesn't look at the past or things of that nature it hits you there's virtually mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it when it does hit you so it's just something difficult to reel with but on the topic of um, religion, why do you think that churches are, or people who are very religious, why do you think that they hone in so deeply on, oh, just pray about it, or why don't you go do this instead of going seeing a professional? And by chance, do you think that there are any churches or other religious organizations that they should offer something that combines like religion? and therapy together and make sure there's that professional involved so you kind of kill two birds with one stone you're not necessarily forsaking your religion by going and speaking to a professional and you're also actually speaking to someone who can attest to what's going on inside sorry the question was for terrell that's, but it's a, that's a great question okay well i'll go for it and i think that there's i know of several churches here in new york who actually do employ uh the well make their pews and make their churches open for people who can approach a church member or a staff person to seek help so there are some churches that are doing it and i think for those who don't i truly believe they likely don't know how to seek help and they like don't know what ways in which a person can go and get mental health treatment i know for me one thing that stopped me from seeking help was I felt like I was too educated to to get me, to seek mental health treatment or to see a therapist. I felt like I just had the intellectual capacity to figure out what was wrong with me and deal with it. And for me to go to a therapist was for me to admit that I was not fully in control of my life and i think that we cannot underestimate that at all and so church people are just like everyone else they are they are no different they have the same feelings they have the same fears as everyone else and if it wasn't god or religion that was in the way it would be it would be something else in my case i was a reporter who actually covered mental health and so for me it would be like i was supposed to be above quote unquote the the need of mental health because I'm reporting on it. I'm supposed to be in control because I'm writing about the issue. Now I'm someone who actually needs help himself. So I had to let go of my ego and and I had to humble myself. And that is a really challenging thing because you really you have to show vulnerability. Well, you you show vulnerability, and when you do go seek help, you're letting someone know the most intimate details of your life. And even with a professional going twice a week, that was not very easy for me to do. It took me three months to get comfortable. So I can only imagine someone who's a member of any church community, uh, what they would go through when they have to decide if their church, if their, if the pastor or any of their colleagues have to go and really seek a therapist because they're confronting a lot of issues that they may not be mentally prepared for. You know, that was that's a good point that you made about thinking that you were too smart for it. The worst patients I have are the smart ones. 
<laughs> yeah. The ones, who think they can, the ones who think they can think their way out of it, and especially the depressed smart ones, they, they're so annoying because they're like, well, logically, the world is crap. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you, you're just looking at one side of it. And you're like, well, there is no other side of it. So you just end up having this philosophical debate, and it's... <laughs> I'm only laughing because I am a smart, depressed person, and I've, I've, I, I completely understand that point of view. It's, it's funny when you're in it, it doesn't sound that off, and then when you hear somebody actually talk about what it's like to deal with it, you're just like, oh my god, I didn't realize it was that bad. <laughs> no, it is. I'm that kind of person too. And then, like, and I see them, and I'm like, is that what I sound like? Ah. Oh. <laughs> it's just really funny yeah my therapist told me during my first three months she said Terrell you have one foot in and one foot out and I said well yes and she said well Terrell why is that and I said I really don't believe I need to be here because I just feel like I'm just too smart now it sounds snobbish and things like that in it now but that was really my mentality I really did not want to go because I felt like I was above it and the more I would kind of get into my depressive state and the more I wasn't able to control my emotions or my thoughts, the more I realized that I, in fact, needed to be there. It was almost as though I needed to think about how my mind was working when I wasn't able to have it monitored by a trained professional to appreciate the experience. In a year and a half, more than a year after being in therapy, I have grown to look back on those look back on my former self and think i guess you know how ridiculous i thought i was you know how ridiculous i was at the time you know i i saw, i just i just wanted to add like i know what it's like too because it's like i never it's i didn't really think about it from like uh i'm, I'm too smart or but i mean it kind of still is it was just i'm such a control freak type a kind of person and i always thought of um as I said, I've been dealing with this like for over 20 years, but there are these moments where I'm just like, you know, I kind of get angry with myself and I'm like, get it together. You could take this. And like, you know, you can, you know, you should be able to handle this. This is something that you should just, you know, dominate, you know, this isn't even a big deal. And then when you fracture or when you falter, it becomes like these horrible, evil feeding cycles because you're slipping and you know that you can't handle it, but there's this part that's just like, I can't relinquish that I can fix this on my own. So then you get angry at yourself for not being able to, and then it just feeds upon itself. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to go to Twitter really quick um, and address this question. This is from Christopher Curie. He wants to know... Um, can the guests speak about seeking out low-income mental health resources? I've had problems getting help. So I, where, where can you go to find some low-income mental health uh, facilities to, to assist? Most of the time, a state's website, like, like I'm in New Jersey. So if, um, like, if you, like, this New Jersey state website, there's a Department of Human Services, and then they have a list of all the um, – all the mental health services for each county. And we have a screening center in each county, which is a, an emergency thing where they send the people who are in emergency situations. So if you're, if you're really in a bad state and you have no meds and nobody to talk to, 
the best thing is usually to go to the nearest hospital. Depending on the state, the your your mileage may vary because one of the big problems with the mental health system is it varies wildly from state to state. Wildly. Some states yeah. don't care about it at all. We have a very complicated system here in New Jersey, but it actually works a lot. It, it works better than most. New York, I don't want to put New York down too much, but I mean, you see, you you walk around New York too, uh, enough, you see how they treat their mentally ill. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Out here in New York, yeah. absolutely correct about that. Yeah. So the, the first place to start, though, is like your local emergency room, because they usually have a social worker. It's in the daytime, like in normal business hours, they'll probably have a social worker who can help with that. Also, um, if you're really low income and you're and you're mentally ill, you probably have Medicaid. So you can go to a Medicaid website and they and they'll have um the names and listings of all the uh providers in your area. So that's usually the, like if you if you have Medicaid, they, you can call that you can even call them too and they'll tell you where to go. Um if you have no insurance, you you should probably call the um Department of Health in your state and they should be able to tell you where to go or even in your if you're in a city, if you're like out in the suburbs or something though, um, probably go to your nearest hospital or if they have a mental health center, even if they don't, even if they can't help you, they should be able to tell you who can. I also recommend that the person check out their local colleges and universities. And if they have a school of social work or a school of psychology, maybe that school or there's an institute within that school that offers free services. Also, yeah, that's true. That's a good idea. Yeah, that. And then also, I've heard mixed reviews about the Affordable Care Act in different states. So it's supposed to cover mental health. And mm-hmm. my best suggestion is to look at the Affordable Care Act in your state to see if you are eligible for it. Those are also options. Um. Also, when I first started, um, because I had to do a lot of research on my own, because my mom was not willing to admit that this was a real problem, and I kind of knew it was, I started doing some online research, um, and I started with the uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, and I actually wrote it down on my notes to mention, because they have like support groups and things like that, um, where it might not be your sole survival, but it might be a good springboard to like find other resources and to also meet with other people who are going through it. So you realize that this actually is a disease, that they are diseases, they are valid, and there are some commonalities that will actually give you relief when you start to hear them. Oh, also, I remember um, they they're uh... – I'm not sure how you find them, but again, like go, if there's a mental health center, there are support groups. There was a support group for um, mood disorders in my area. There was a couple of them and those are amazingly helpful, especially for the, um, because you don't feel isolated. The isolation is one of the worst parts of mental illness. So support groups are great for that. And those are free. Like just like AA or NA, sometimes they have them for mental illness. Yeah. But again, that's like it depends on where you are and if you can find them. Some of those groups actually have um, they're on Meetup, 
groups.com. So if you try that, there might be some groups on there that you can look into. And then also, I started a hashtag called Black Suicide, where I started op opening up about my experience. And if you go to hashtag Black Suicide and search that hashtag, you'll see a lot of resources where psychologists and mental health professionals from around the country gave have given insight on where people can get help if they are low income. And it does, and, and all these, this conversation really leads us to an important issue about it is that if you're seeking help, it's almost like getting a therapist is, is a, uh, is a privilege almost. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm very fortunate that I had insurance that pays for my sessions because my sessions, if if I had to pay for them by myself, they range anywhere from two to three hundred dollars per session, and who can afford that? I know I can't. So it really opens up this talk, this dialogue about how much, how little care our country puts into providing mental health services for people who need it. I just have to say that there is a ton of feedback um, during the show right now. People are tweeting just information. They're repeating a lot of what you guys are saying. They're also tweeting out uh, resources that they have found. Many people that are listening now have direct experience with um, mental illness issues. So um, I just want to say thank you guys for participating in this and, and thank you to the panel. Um, this is You're dropping some gems tonight for sure. Uh, so thank you for that. I, I want to direct this question to Mel. Um, mm -hmm. We had some some personal experience here on the BGM podcast. Uh, last year, we invited Karen Washington. She's the founder of For Brown Girls. And uh, our topic was actually about makeup and, and beauty. And uh, little did I know or did any of us know that she was suffering from depression. And late last year, she did take her own life um, as a result of suffering from that. So I just wanted to know, you know, with, with depression specifically and mental illness at large, is there a cure for mental illness? And if not, what are the best ways to treat it long-term? I don't think that there's a cure. I think there's just coping with it and learning to live with it. I mean, for some people, their depression is situational or it's around a specific time or if, um, you have a certain illness, then a depression will come along with it. But for some people it's chronic and it's it's lifelong and you have to learn how to deal with it. And that may be through talk therapy, but talk therapy doesn't work for everybody. That might be through medication, which also doesn't work for everybody. So you need to find that thing or that um, way of dealing with it, which works, that works for you. That might be a combination of medication and therapy or you can change your diet, you know, incorporate more fruits and vegetables and, you know, foods high in omega-3, that's worked for a lot of people. You can um, exercise works endorphins. I mean, just find something that works for you and then realize that what you're suffering from, I mean, it's an illness and treat it like you're trying to treat an illness. Don't treat it as if it's just, as they say, something in your head and you can just you know, ignore it or think about it or try to outthink it or make yourself not feel it when really you need help. You're probably going to need outside help and it's okay to ask for that help. Right. And, and my suicidal ideation was 
situational. So I don't have suicidal thoughts anymore. Mine's occurred over a month or, or a few months. Uh, it was a buildup. And I go to talk therapy. I used to go twice a week. And now I only go once per week because I am improving. During the first few months, my therapist encouraged me to see a psychiatrist because she felt that I, I needed medication. That made me very scared. And I said no. And we did a number of alternatives to therapy, such as breathing techniques. And that was a direct result mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. anxiety attacks that I've had, that I've suffered. And now I'm in a stage where I am going to see a psychiatrist because I've suffered four really serious anxiety attacks in the past nine months, including one last week. And so... I'm coming to that realization that I do need maybe a combination of medication and talk therapy, but that medication would be on an as-need basis because I don't have the panic attacks every week or once a month. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to be honest with your therapist about what's going on with you because in reality, you could tell a therapist anything. So mm -hmm. that is, so being as honest as you can would be the best way to for you to get help. And for me, I'm coming to the realization that medication may be one of the things that I need as I live with uh, my mental health uh, journey. That reminds me that I saw on Twitter, somebody had mentioned that it's so hard to be honest with therapists because we've been conditioned for so long not to air our, our dirty laundry to you know, people who are outside our family or outside our social groups. So then, therapy can be a problem because of that because you need to be honest and that's always been my problem with therapy i just go in there and then i you know laugh and i smile and i pretend everything's okay when obviously it isn't <laughs> and actually i wanted to um ask john about something because i've heard there's been a lot of buzz recently like the past couple of years about depression being tied to inflammation in the brain and I wanted to see what were your thoughts on that. Uh, see, here's here's the thing about about uh about psychiatry. We want we as people, as society, and especially as Americans, want there to be a causal relationship between the physical and, and psychological state. Hmm. Neuropsychology is a very young science as the sciences mm -hmm. go. Um, they don't like even like SSRIs and um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Those are most of the antidepressants. They, we know they work, but we don't, a lot of times they, they're only pretty sure they know how it works. There's gaps in knowledge. Um, they're, they're trying to associate schizophrenia with seizures. Like that's, that was one thing I heard that um, schizophrenia is like one long, slow seizure maybe. And there's lots of hypotheses out there, but we're really not close to proving anything because you can't, the other problem with neuropsychiatry is that you can't experiment on living people. And I know you, I don't, no, I don't, I heard that as I was saying it, but it really, it really is, it inhibits the progress of the science. So because of <laughs> ethics. Now, I'm not saying that. Have been, there have been some experiments in relation to this, like by Dr. Miller from Emory. 
that have found some some <laughs> data that may support it. But yeah, as you said, it's still it's still young. I just find it a very interesting theory. Like, yeah. I'll give you an example with the um with brain injury, with traumatic brain injury, with the football players. You can't find that out until they're dead. And you examine right. their brain. Mm. So they're mm. going to have to wait all this time for all these people, for all these people to die of natural causes and then see if they have it and then apply that to the next. And it's like, it's just going to take time for there to be any real breakthroughs in this. So, like we were asking, if there are a cure, there's no cure for mental illness. There's no, the only thing, personality disorders are, can be worked on with therapy. But therapy is expensive. Number one, like we like we said, and number mm-hmm. two, the real finding a good therapist is like finding a good partner. It's like it's really yeah. like mm-hmm. it's exactly the same as there should be an OK Cupid for it. There's <laughs> there really should. No, I'm not even kidding. Like girl. I totally Tinder agree with you. Therapy. Yeah. Because like a- I love my very first therapist. My I still remember her. She was amazing. She I was remember your first. She yeah. <laughs> She actually talked to me like I was a person and like, I think so. I saw somebody maybe bring it up in the, um, in the tweet thread, the Twitter thread that winds up being one of the things, strangely enough, um, that can be an impediment to your own mental health recovery is just, um, sometimes one, there have been numerous studies that's come out that, that shows that most people kind of downplay and diminish the pain of African-Americans so, like, even when you're going to therapy, people might not be as sympathetic because they think, one, you're strong, so you should handle it. Of course, you know, strong black people. And it's just like that winds up hurting me because people aren't actually listening. Then they might think that you're just complaining because they don't have a capacity for for evaluating your pain on a level that they compare to their own. You know what I'm saying? So, like... For my first therapist, she was amazing because she was one of the few therapists that actually talked to me like I was a person as opposed to a case study, whereas I've had experiences not just, you know, in finding therapy. I mean, I've also had inpatient um, in-house treatment uh, for a couple weeks and multiple occasions where I was talked to is like, you know, oh, well, that's just a case. Whereas if you have a therapist who's like, you are a person and we need to talk about that, that does change everything. And, you know, you're far more willing to disclose and be honest about yourself. I mean, let's be honest, too. When you're depressed or you're under some kind of mental, um, you know, illness, your honesty still might not be the truth, but it's honesty for you. So even if you see the whole world is completely skewed, you have to have the freedom to believe that you can tell somebody that, and they're not going to make fun of you, laugh at you or diminish your pain. Yeah. I, my, my therapist, I'm very fortunate for more than a year now, going on a year and a half, I've had the same therapist and people tell me that is incredible. I found one person (laughs) and stuck with her. She's an African-American woman who specializes in childhood trauma and she's finishing uh, her PhD in, in, in social justice, the combination of social justice and psych and, um, you know, mental health. So she is someone who is specifically trained to understand and appreciate me as a person and is multiculturally 
competent. I know for me, when I was in my worst state, I didn't want to talk to anyone but a black female. So it is certainly it is certainly very important because I know of people who have gone to therapists and A, they weren't multiculturally competent or B, they just weren't very good. And sometimes they were very, uh, they they tended to do more talking than listening and it ended up being a horrible experience. So yeah. it is yeah. something that people really don't appreciate about the therapist it is a lifelong commitment in that you're almost marrying someone. When I speak to my therapist, she often says, well, Terrell, you, you know, what are we talking about today? She almost picks up on my, on my social cues. She, I have her number where I can call her at any time if I'm going through anything. So it's really a partnership that is akin to a marriage almost, because essentially you're talking about all the most intimate details of your life. So you might as well be, but it's just more of a professional relationship. The, one of the, um, the things like when I went to therapy, I had, I had a therapist for a long time and um, she was a white Jewish woman and it, it actually worked out really well because like, I guess, I don't know, for some reason she said like a lot of my guilt and issues are very Jewish. <laughs> she said, I, have, she said, I have like very Jewish neuroticism about me. <laughs> I think the reason why it worked was because a lot of a lot of my issues are more gender based than um, than racially based. Because I'm pretty, I like like I was you know like I said I grew up in the suburbs. I was one of the only black kids, but that never really bothered me. It was always my relationships with relationships with women that were that were destroying my brain and sanity so yeah you really have to have a little bit of insight to know who's going to be the right therapist for you and also that comes with like um seeking out someone who might be specializing in what you're dealing with like when i saw the therapist like he was great he was he was a jewish man actually and um he specialized in anxiety disorders so i went in there almost I felt comfortable with the idea that he might already know, you know, when I started talking to him about what was going on. And he was great. He gave me so many breathing techniques and meditation methods. I mean, these things have carried me for the past, like, 12 or 13 years. So I definitely encourage if someone's, like, seeking therapy and trying to find that right person, if you have an idea of, of what's going on, if you're at that stage, definitely seek out someone who might be specializing in, um, in what you're dealing with. All right, thanks for that. I'm going to toss it over to Tara for her next question. Sure. So, Carrie, do you know of any specific support groups online or in person that can that people can turn to for mental health as a whole or specific illnesses, so depression, bipolar, anxiety, eating disorders, you name it? Um, the only thing that I used to do is um because I'm actually still looking back when I've, I've traveled around the country a bit. So, um, I'm a long way from the start of my journey where I had most of my roots. I grew up in New York city, so I had a lot more resources there. And then when I moved to Georgia, I had some more resources there, but I've moved like three more times <laughs> since there. So I'm kind of, I'm actually, I live in Portland, Oregon right now, and I'm focused on, um, trying to find something here. In the meantime, though, what I've just been looking for is um, a couple of different places on social media that have really helped me deal with things. Um, one of them was um, 
there's a woman by the name of Dior Vargas. I want to make sure I got that right. And yeah. she she runs the People of Color and Mental Illness Photo Project. And that's been really, really amazing for me because then I can see, you know, they're just different people of color holding up their signs. And, you know, I, I know, I know, and we all know here that dealing with mental illness is not necessarily a white people problem, but usually when you look at the faces of mental illness where it's a sympathetic thing, it's usually that. And so I think it's really empowering for me to see that there are so many other people, people of color who are also not only dealing with mental illness, but dealing with mental illness within the context of, you know, their own cultural perspectives. Um, and the other thing that I, that I think has been really strangely helpful, I don't know if, I'm not usually into web comics, but I found one that really just resonates with me and it's Depression Comics. You can find it at depressioncomics with an x.com. And some of the comics are so absolutely um poignant that, you know, I have to be careful cuz it'll trigger me just because it's so deeply honest and so real. But I mean, they post up you can go to the site you can actually read all of them there's like 200 plus of them uh, multiple panels and then you know I follow them on Facebook and you know it's just for me it's just like I'm while I'm looking I have to just be you know I, I have to look at other online sources and just depictions of other people who are suffering so I remember that I'm not alone because it that isolation is no joke and it really does convince you that not only are you alone but that you can't seek help because nobody else understands what you're talking about and then it just it keeps you isolated and then it feeds so like i just one of the things that i just think is really important for me while i'm searching for resources in portland is these online avenues where i can remember that i'm not the only one who's going through this can you repeat the link to your webcomic again? Oh, it's not mine. I don't want to, but it is called Depression Comics, and that's www.depressioncomics.com. And it's all one word, depressioncomics.com. I mean, it's seriously like there are little things that you when you don't air it out, I mean, you can even, even in talking about depression here, it's not going in depth about how much energy it takes to get showered some days or how much energy it takes to finish a meal or why you don't want to like how you turn down all the invites that your friends give you and then feel like you're burdening them with your problems, but then also dealing with the loneliness that results. And it's just like, it's these small little snippets of, of what it actually is like to have depression that makes it so real. And I'm so immensely grateful for it. Thank you. All right. So this question is for Shanae. How has social media played a role in spreading more awareness and or knowledge on different types of mental illnesses or dis disorders? Um, do you think that it will continue to play a role in a negative way or a positive way? I mean, just basically just what Carrie had just said. I mean, it, it really, I feel like uh, social media really creates a sense of community for people. Um, it's, it is such an isolating, um, it's such an isolating thing to experience any type of mental illness. Um, especially 
it especially gives you this this aloneness, this feeling that no one in the world knows what you're feeling when you're feeling it. And um, what I love about social media is that I've been able to find these various communities for, for all types of things, but also when it comes to particularly mental illness. There's, there are people you can talk to, people who can relate to you, just the little details, the little things that you might be dealing with or going through. Um, when I was working on my, my film, I was trying to find um, just outlets for people who were dealing with OCD, and there, were, there was this, um, it was called the Daily Strength, I think it's dailystrength.com. They talk about all types of mental illness, where there's these kind of chat rooms and these places that people go to to talk about their symptoms. And I could see that there was this real community of people just trying to help each other. And so I feel like, you know, with that awareness and that ability to just, like, be able to be open with people and share with people, I mean, that that's definitely a step in the right direction in terms of just helping people. I mean, even this podcast tonight, I mean, I, I know someone will be affected in, in a positive way um, just hearing what we're talking about. Absolutely. I also wanted to add that um, I love Tumblr so much. I just, I love it mostly because I don't, like, I am antisocial and I don't really want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then Introverts before, United. <laughs> yeah, I said before that, you know, I had problems with therapy because, like, I have trust issues. So, like, on Tumblr, if you just search, like, master post self-care, you will find page after page of links to any kind of mental health resource mm -hmm. that you could want. And sometimes, like, when I feel, you know, especially lonely or especially just I'm in the darkest place that I could be in. And then I'll I'll just something will just come up and then I don't know, it'll be something silly like paint or paint fishes, you know, paint pictures of fish, you know, in your own little ocean, or something about creating your own universe, or I don't know, putting dolls, putting dresses on dolls. And it sounds completely ridiculous, but like that doing something like that will take you out of the dark place that you're in even for just a second to bring mm -hmm. you up a little or distract you from what you're going through right. just to have that i mean and then i found one it was a link to some website and then you would just say okay i'm feeling you type in i'm feeling depressed and then it would come back with a positive message for you and then it would just keep going on and it just went on for like 10 minutes giving me positive message after positive message that at, you know at, at the end of it i just I don't know, I had to smile, even though I didn't want to, I just had to. I wish I could remember the name of it, but like, I can't right now. Tumblr beautiful. is so great. Tumblr is so great for like seriously. Like when I get really, really bummed out, I go look at t pictures of corgis and yes. Japanese Aww. girls in like eyelashes <laughs> and Hello Kitty. Like I, I like, and it sounds ridiculous because I'm definitely older than an age where I should be so like I should fetishize Hello Kitty as much as I do. But even I still, love Hello I Kitty. like. I'm I, with you. But like just looking at all this Hello Kitty stuff, I'm just like, oh my goodness, tiny food, tiny things. And it's just like it's enough to divert my attention from your life is horrible to well, it can't be that horrible because there's a corgi dress like link on Tumblr and I just saw it and it made me smile. And you'll find all these people who will do artwork with positive messages. So I saved a whole bunch on my work computer. And then I set it up as my desktop um, background to, you know, circulate every 10 minutes. So then whatever 
I'm going through at work. If I feel down, then I'll just look up and then there's a picture of a panda saying, you can do it. And I'm just like, that's all <laughs> I need sometimes. I well, mean, it's a little thing, but like sometimes it's the little things that help. Yeah, yeah, it truly is. Well, this is this is the Black Girl Nerds podcast. We're all nerds and geeks here, and people, nerds and geeks don't often become that way because we're you know socially healthy and and mentally strong. Like we're all kind of broken. That's how we ended up on the fringes of society, anyway. So. <laughs> I just thought it was because we like certain things a lot. Jeez. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But, but we're also the other. Sucks. We, you know, we're yeah. we're nonconformists and and we're into our own passions and fandoms. So, exactly. um, yeah. So, so I what that's where you go. That's your happy place. That's your happy place. <laughs> if if it's your happy place, then that's your happy place. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I wanted to bring up for people who are Spanish and they want to go to conventions, but for whatever reason, they don't feel like they can go because maybe they don't have a big social group and they don't have anybody to go with. A great way to go is to just volunteer. That's a great way to meet people. That's a, because I, I go, I volunteer at Dragon Con every year and I usually don't like big crowds. <laughs> But there's something about working at con that just makes everything feel so much easier to deal with. I don't know why, especially since they work you like Don Claire, but it just, I don't know, it just works. <laughs> Mel, so will you be there this that. year? Yes, I will. Yay, we'll get to meet. I'll be at Dragon Con. Woohoo! Dragon Con, yay! Yeah, yeah, very See, excited. I, I'd like to go to Dragon Con, but I'm 37 and yeah, I don't. What? What does that have to do with Yeah, what does that have to do with What are you talking about, John? Goer is under 20, and that's just... Well, you know what? The the group that I'm going with, we're all in our 30s, probably even in our 40s, some of the folks that I'm going with. So, uh... Oh, there's a geezer anime group? I didn't know. (laughs) Middle-aged otaku? I didn't know. No, believe me, 37 is like, you're in a good age group because Dragon Con, like I work with people and I'm I'm 31 and I'm like one of the youngest people that I work with. I mean, let that sink in. I would go to Dragon Con if it wasn't on the other side of the country. Like that gets expensive flying to the East Coast. So, but I mean, I totally agree with the um, volunteering. I volunteered at a few cons, not last year, but the year before. And last year, I mean, don't really have many friends or anything here. So I just went to them by myself. And um, I, I loved Geek Girl Con. And if any of you guys are on the Pacific Northwest and you're planning to go this year, Let's hook up because I would like to know people this time. It was fun. I still had yes. a lot of fun and it was great. And um, I did get to meet you, Jamie. <laughs> but um, other than that, like, it was just still great to be in an atmosphere where you weren't going to be judged. I mean, that does a lot because it forces you to take a break from judging yourself for a minute. You know? I highly suggest that anyone that has the opportunity to check out Geek Girl Con, it's such a loving, embracing, and welcoming con, and they don't discriminate against anyone. Um, So, yeah, yeah, thank you for bringing up Geek Girl Con. I I can't praise them enough. Uh, Thank you guys for coming on. Uh, We kind of went a little over because we started a little bit late, but 
honestly, I, I really feel like we should do a part two to this because a lot of folks on Twitter were really engaged with this topic. They wanted to know a lot more um, in addition to what's already been discussed. So I will work on getting a part two. Um, but before we go, I just want you guys to have the opportunity to give out your social media shout outs. A few people on Twitter didn't get your handles. So if you can let us know what your Twitter handles is, your websites, um, where we can find out more about what you're doing after the show. Sure, I'll start. So I'm Terrell Jermaine Starr. If you, I just have my regular name. So if you search Terrell Jermaine Starr, uh, Twitter, you'll find me. My handle is Russian underscore star. Russian underscore star. That's because I actually speak Russian, and yeah, black people speak Russian. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so that's the reason. And then also, I use the hashtag Black Suicide to talk about my journey. And next month, I'll be writing for a national publication about my suicide, about my suicide journey. And one of the a, a shout out is uh, to Feminista. Jones, I actually got the courage to talk about my mental health experience because of a lot of the ways that she was able to curate her audience around street harassment and some of the challenges that she went through. So I looked to other people, influencers on Twitter to help me feel get the courage to talk about my experiences on social media as well. Thank you. And to John. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, um, I'm on Twitter and I check my Twitter a lot because I'm obsessed. Um, <laughs> that would be pretty much everybody, uh, <laughs> right? Like I need pills for this, but yeah. they don't have them yet. Um, so yeah, it's Don Coyote, D O N C O Y O T E. Um, you can ask me what that means. Um, but like like I said, this is I work in the ER, so I see people. I have to hook the, a lot of them up with services. If you want to know how to get something, what your diagnosis means, pills, like I that's what I do. So um, yeah, you just tweet me and follow me. Like I don't always talk about mental health, but I talk about lots of stuff. But um, yeah, I'm like a 24 hour resource for that stuff. So and like I said, I have a um. I have the blog too, and I, I've I've written a lot about my own personal because I've had a lot go on in my life. Like my mother committed suicide, so I know about that. I've had depression. I've been in a hospital, so it, anything you've been through, I can probably relate or know somebody who has. So um, yeah, just like I oh, and my my email is exit dot eleven spelled out same way at Gmail. So if you feel better that way, whatever. Um, yeah. That's it. Carrie? Um, okay, I'm Carrie. Uh, I saw it mentioned before on the uh, on the hashtag, but um, because I've been uh, unfortunately subjected to online harassment for the last year, over a year, um, I've been really reluctant to give out my private information um, when it comes to Twitter. But um, I also do need to connect. It's a really horrible thing when you're when you're currently being bullied and harassed because you do need to talk to people, but you don't know who you can trust if it's from an online setting. So like, um, I would give out my, my, um, my information, but what I can do is I make music. And if you go to SoundCloud, that's soundcloud.com forward slash belly bell, 
That's B-E-L-L-Y-B-E-L-L-E. And that's where I put a lot of my music. And there are also links to the side on for Facebook and for Twitter and things like that. So as much as I'm rather reluctant to release that information online, I did give a way to like find it. And, you know, I wouldn't be upset if you listen to my music. I make moody electronic music. So I'm I'm always happy when people listen because I feel like, you know, if I'm going to be depressed and I'm going to ha- and I'm going to just be isolated and work on music all the time, it would be awesome if people at least listen to it. <laughs> you have yeah. to pay for anything, but you know, like it's just like it makes me feel like, okay, well, I didn't get showered today and all I could do is open my laptop in Ableton and I managed to make a loop, you know. But if you listen to it, it makes me feel like, well, at least I'm not a complete loser. So, <laughs> so thank you, and uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Oh, she makes emo. She makes emo goth music. That's adorable. No, that. no, I don't. I make uh, electronic synth pop and whatever. I'm not going to get into that right now. But yeah, I do make <laughs> sad electronic music. That's weird, but it's weird and and it's made with sadness. So put a smile on your face and listen to my music. No. <laughs> sadness. A mixture of sadness with a side of smile. Pretty much. <laughs> okay, Shanae. Yes, I'm R Shanae Williams. Um, at Twitter, I am R Shanae. That's S H A N E A seven twenty two. And um, yeah, tweet me anytime. And my production company website is vision seventy five eighty dot com. Come check out what we're working on. Um, yeah, that's my that's my stuff. ML. Okay, I am uh, Jane underscore Anon, so J-A-N-E underscore A-N-O-N. I'm going to be tweeting about Walking Dead in (laughs) a little while. Me too. Uh, I will be staff at Dragon Con, so I would love to see people there. I am also staff at WinCon, which is a small fan con in Philadelphia. So if you really don't like crowds but want to go to a fan con, this is the one to go to. I will put, like, I'll tweet out the link. And that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to Tara for co-hosting tonight. Really appreciate it. No problem. And next week, we will have Cerise Rennie Murphy, science fiction author, to come on to talk about her latest book called The Orders of the Seers Trilogy. So tune in next week at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And thank you guys for tuning in. And certainly I will work on getting a part two uh, for this really important podcast. And obviously a lot of folks were very engaged and interested in uh, what was discussed. So thank you again to our panel. Thank you all for listening and see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.